That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, well here we are back for another exciting episode of the same old song, uh, COVID edition. And so we uh, continue to press forward through the uh, lectionary readings of August. And uh, today we find ourselves looking at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and uh, as well as, if I can get there, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and then everybody's favorite, Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. And so, but before we jump into those texts, Aaron, how are you doing? Uh, Well, you know that uh, there was a a band called Massive Attack. Maybe they're still around, and I feel like I can identify because just as we started recording here, I began having a massive allergy attack because mm. basically any time of year in Texas is like pollen season. I don't know what's happening. But other than that, I'm doing okay. We're, we are starting live services or in-person services, I should say, at St. Albans pretty soon. Uh, on Wednesdays, outdoors, nothing on Sunday yet. You still have to catch us on live stream on Sunday. But uh, So that's exciting, and we're just... Uh, yeah, man, in the thick of things. Uh, how how about you, Jake? Yep, same here. We are uh, we're putting together. We're finalizing our plans for um, our uh, first in-person service on September thirteenth, and uh, we are um, still doing live stream services. And I think that's um, well. I don't think I know that is a permanent fixture now in the life of Calvary St. George's. It's a result of COVID, and we're grateful. So I will be getting my teeth bleached and my hair highlighted. And uh, I'm going to begin to every service with, instead of blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm going to begin with, this is my Bible. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) I've got a manicure Um, right after this, um, same same deal. Yeah, yeah, we're working, everybody. It's uh, going to be um, St. Albans and Calvary St. George's worldwide. So if you'd like to start sowing your seeds of faith, uh, you can do that at any time. Broadcasting Empire begins today. And I will send you an ambulate of my tears that have been blessed. So um, anyway, I got a prayer cloth. They're, they're actually, they're, the whole first shipment is coming. No, no prayer masks <laughs> now in the in the season that's of COVID. Right. We'll wear prayer I've masks. I've touched them all. So. Right over them for you. All right, Shandaha. <laughs> let's get started. And uh, <laughs> we just lost. Just uh, a touch offensive. Uh, just a touch. Few more. Few, few more. Just listeners. a scotch. So anyway, but, uh, Anyways, why not? Here we are, Exodus chapter 3, and if you remember last week, we, um, we started the book of Exodus, and there along the banks of the Nile, um, uh, uh, what would you call them, uh, ladies who help with uh, doulas, or basically yeah, the midwives. Uh, Jewish doulas, are uh, sparing, um, sparing uh, Jewish babies who have been ordered to be killed on the spot and sending them down the Nile. And uh, one such baby is a, name, a baby by the name of Moses, He's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's courts. 
And then all of a sudden, here we are, and Moses is plopped in the middle of Midian. He's got a father-in-law. What the heck went down, Aaron? Well, a lot of stuff happened. So Moses raised with wealth and privilege uh, and speaking Egyptian and likely would have learned uh, Egyptian as if that was a language, whatever they were speaking then. And uh, then... um, being also raised by his mother, who was sort of his nanny, but actually his mother, and she was Jewish. So we assume that Moses was learning some of these Hebrew customs as well. But And he knows he's Hebrew. He knows his ethnic background. He also knows that he's living with the, um, the dominant ethnicity, uh, the people with privilege and power, the Egyptians. And so he's got this internal conflict going on. And... Uh, he sees one day uh, a fellow Hebrew being mistreated uh, and real injustice yeah, by Egyptians, and he and he flies off the handle, and in a rage commits murder. And because of his uh, position, he he feels like maybe he can hide it. So then the next day he sees two Hebrews arguing with each other, and feeling like maybe now he really is a vigilante for justice. You know, he was successful yesterday in in helping a Hebrew. Not today. He's going to, you know, settle this argument. And one of the Hebrews says to him, are you going to kill one of us just like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And he says, oh, my gosh, like, I basically my cover's blown. And so he flees into exile. And now he's living in... Midian. Uh, he's he's far away. He's in hiding. Basically, the the main point here is that his life has basically failed, uh, and he's working as a shepherd, which would have been seen as sort of a low class. He's gone thing. from luxury to the pits. That's yeah. right. Uh, and he's married to Zipporah, who's the daughter of Jethro, this pagan priest out there. So he's he's now on the outskirts. He's on the outskirts of the Hebrews. Uh, like he's on the outs with them because he's married a non-Jewish woman. He's on the outs with the Egyptians if he ever was on the ins with them just because of his ethnic background. So he's just, he's a man without a country, a man without a home. He's completely failed. And a man living amongst pagans. Like not, he's living with uh, folks. The guy is not the priest of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is, um, yeah, this is a, so basically the author, Moses, we could just say today, um, is basically making the point that um, Moses is, uh, you know, is low. This is a this is a low point. Yeah, it, this is um, this is. And God obviously can't speak to us when we're in our low points. You know, that's God always <laughs> speaks to us when we're at the high points of life, when things are going well, when everything's great, when we have three streams of income as opposed to one. You know, uh, that's when God is speaking. But what happens here? Well, yeah. So he is. He is at the end of his rope. Uh, his life trajectory has completely failed. And uh, yet, this is where God does show up. And um, while he is watching sheep, he's not waiting for God. He's not looking for God. And um, there he is. The the angel Lord appears to him in this famous scene, the, the fire um, that is burning a bush, but the bush is not consumed. Uh, and so Moses goes to see it, and that's when God speaks to him. And the thing about this symbol, uh, fire often represents God in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament because it's light, it's power, it's this amorphous kind of mysterious thing, all of which kind of are metaphors for God. 
but also here as the bush is burning but not burned up fire is a symbol of judgment and for the bush not That's to right. be burned up is what basically what god is saying to moses you also are worthy of judgment you've committed murder uh you've done you've broken a lot of rules and but you're not you're married up. to a priest yeah, in Midian. Right. yeah absolutely there's lots of things so so that's so just the the burning bush itself is is a is a word of grace um and and yeah and and it's important here that god identifies himself he says i'm the god of your father like i'm not the god of the priest of midian you know i'm not like this universal approach where everybody's okay um, he's like, no, I'm the one living God. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And um, and Moses' first response when he encounters this God isn't like, awesome, you know what I mean? Let me praise him. No, for he was afraid to look at God. I mean, this is... This is um, this. This oftentimes gets gets romanticized a little bit. This is a, a, a terrifying experience. Let's uh, just lay it on the table. Yeah. And so uh, we learn a lot of wonderful things about God. Not only is God a God of grace who spares from judgment, He's also a God who knows the suffering of His people. So He says, "I've heard their cry." And again, this is a powerful word today. Now to people who are suffering in our congregations, uh, we are all under this pandemic, this economic reversal, the, all the struggles that come with that in your personal life, in your family, all of it. And it's just always encouraging to know that God sees your suffering. The, the racial inequities, uh, which are absolutely a part of what's going on for the Hebrews in, in Egypt, um, God sees all those sufferings and offers deliverance. It's important to note, however, that it's been a long time coming. Uh, uh, God sees our suffering. The timing is always not what we would <laughs> choose. But nevertheless, important to note that God sees suffering and has a plan to deliver them from suffering. And that's what that's what God is beginning here with somebody who is like the least likely person that you would choose. Um, you know, he has been in some respects kind of a, uh, a I don't, he, he doesn't have the, the, the street cred. Um, I was just... Uh, I watched bits and pieces. We're recording the day after the first night of the Democratic National Convention last night, which somebody said it was like a live stream telethon slash political convention. But one of the things that the Democratic Party is intending to do, which lots of parties have done with lots of candidates, you want to present the candidate as a as a man or woman of the people. You know, you want them to be able to sit down at the kitchen table with their shirt sleeve rolled up and just talk about welding just like normal folks. And Moses is not that. Moses grew up uh, at the height of wealth and power. And so if you want somebody to lead a revolution uh, to, against the, the oppressive wealthy powers, Moses wouldn't be the one. He doesn't have the street cred. Uh, you know, he, he's like an Ivy League graduate in grew up in like tailored suits. It's, he's not the right one. But this is who God is choosing. He's also a failure. As we've said, he's a sinner. He's at the end of his rope. Think about Nick Nolte in his mugshot. That's who we're dealing with here. Mm, yeah, that's a, that is a great point. And that's a great reminder, too, that um, God, uh, God always speaks to us and presents himself in the opposite. Um, you're, you know, uh, nobody in their right mind would follow a Nazarene uh, uh, rabbi who is crucified on a cross. Uh, so, but uh, indeed, God does always glorious things through foolish, what we would term as foolish 
And, um, and, and Moses literally has the audacity to say to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And uh, it is here that God says uh, to this uh, foolish uh, choice, and uh, he says to all of us who've been called by God, which is, I mean, uh, at least in your case, Aaron, a foolish choice. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, says, <laughs> he says, I will uh, be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is who I sent you. Uh, when you uh, have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And that mountain is Sinai that they're at. Um, and the sign for us that God is with us is um, uh, Christ present on a cross on a mountain called Calvary. That becomes our Zion. And uh, that is the sign that God has sent you forth too to share the good news with people. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, you know, and that is a great thing. But Moses said to God, if, if I come to the Israelites and they say to them, the God of your ancestors who sent me, what, what is his name? And this is a very, this is a cultural moment because um, in those days people could name their gods and by naming their gods, they're given power and control over them. Uh, but this is not oh, a God Dagon. we can figure out. Oh, Baal. No. Oh, Molech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. This isn't a God that we can call out, nor is this a God who's at our beck and call. Um, and uh, he gives him the name uh, that uh, Jesus uses throughout John, um, that Jesus uses with the disciples when they're out on the sea in Matthew's gospel. I am who I am. Um, and uh, tell them I am sent you. And that's very powerful because it is the God who is always present. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is amazing here is the fact that God is willing to use, again, almost as an extension of his name, the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm. Uh, and uh, because this is, I mean, again, this God is the creator of the universe, uh, whose ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, so much higher, bigger, transcendent. Language fails. You can't even get words around this being, this person with a capital P, and yet this being wants to be known as the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham. And we know about these guys. They are not good guys. Like, they have done some good right. things, but, you know, Abraham threw his wife under the bus, uh, lied about who she was, uh, didn't trust God. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Jacob and all these things. This is um, incredible. Again, we always want to highlight our accomplishments and our associations with good, powerful, and important people. This is the opposite of that. You know, Egypt is this superpower at the time. Um, if you wanted to be an impressive deity, maybe you might say, I'm the god who's connected with Pharaoh or something like that. Like, this is saying, like, I am the god of Gomer Pyle. You know, I am the god of. Pee Wee Herman. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of sort of like ridiculous characters and all of it is based on my childhood in the 90s. But uh, this is, um, this is a, a gracious statement from God to say, I'm the God of these people and to choose. Like we think of Abraham, ooh, Isaac, ooh, Jacob. Like we think kind of holy Bible figures in our stained glass windows. But that's not who these people were. Like they were, um, they were bit players in the history of the ancient Near East and they were not super holy people at all, but they were chosen and loved by God, just like you and I are. 
That's right. And I think that the other important thing to talk about here is that you now are introduced to the, um, to the protagonist of the story. This isn't, um, this isn't, um, it's not Moses. The, the main character in the story here is I am who I am. And, uh, and he is about to go to war with someone who thinks they're a god, and that's Pharaoh. And so we are going to see, um, um, we're about to be dazzled um, by, um, by this god as he takes on Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. And um, it's interesting, though, that in the book of Hebrews, when it talks about, but we've been privy to a greater miracle, uh, you know, um, really, the book of Exodus is where a lot of miracles take place in the Old Testament. And, um, and, uh, but we've been privy to a greater miracle, and that's Jesus. And on that mount, he calls you and me uh, to himself. So get from Exodus, don't stay in Moses, get him to Jesus. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. I just have to note that you said get ready to be dazzled, and I think bedazzled is going to be the name of this episode. Oh, that's good, yeah. Okay, Romans so. 12. This is Paul wrapping up his letter to the church in Rome. Again, he's never met these people, but he wants to visit them, and he's laid out his whole uh, gospel, his message, his his uh, theology for them because it was controversial. And now he's ending, uh, as one typically did in these letters, with sort of a, uh, a bullet point list of things that characterize the Christian life, sort of in light of the gospel, how do we live? What does it look like? And again, it's important to remember this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, this it gives us a picture of what the Christian life looks like when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and when, when Christ lives out his life through you. This is what it looks like, patient and suffering, uh, zealous, mm. uh, loving one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. Kind of a, the opposite of looking out for number one, the opposite of trying to advance my own agenda. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, loving enemies. It's trying to make other people look better than yourself. Uh, it's caring about poor people. If you ever see a Christian who's like a, lo- a, a lousy tipper, they clearly are not <laughs> in connection with the gospel or and it's controversial. If you're a lousy tipper, you're a bad Christian. I said it. There went half our audience. <laughs> Romans 12 says, uh, you should um, uh, do not be haughty. Asso- associate with the lowly. It's like, you know, um, outdo one another showing honor. If somebody gives you bad service, tip more. Like, that's the attitude in this in this whole passage here. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, but that is definitely the attitude. Yeah. If you don't know the names of uh, the people who regularly serve you in your life, whether it's your barista or the person who delivers your paper or who delivers your mail. Now, I realize in, in New York, maybe that's harder because you're surrounded by so many people all the time. But, you know, caring about yeah, people. And I know the dudes in the coffee see, there cart, you go. in the bodega. Yeah. So be, yeah, be associate with the lowly. Uh, everybody, so that, that's the whole picture of what a Christian life looks like. And we've gotten so fixated on Christian living being kind of a, something extraordinary yeah and what this really does remind us is that spirituality is ordinary one a show that i've started binging on netflix i think it's really it's really interesting is that unhealthy uh, and uh it looks at all of these like new medical trends and all of this and um and one of the uh you know and also like spirituality and like goop and all of that stuff is all wrapped into this whether it be um uh ingesting essential oils or ayahuasca all due respect which gwyneth is the psych- 
Yeah, which is this. I know she listens, everybody. <laughs> so thou shalt not lie. But anyway, um, she, um, this, you know, it's all about this like super spirituality and reaching up for something bigger and more mystical and all of this stuff. And uh, what Paul is reminding us here is that in view of God's many mercies, as he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1, you know, um, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. And what does a living sacrifice look like? Well, it doesn't necessarily look like going on a spirit quest. It doesn't necessarily look like, you know, um, ingesting uh, essential oils and, and uh, focusing on you. Yeah, um, uh, uh, it looks very ordinary. It looks like, you know, um, it looks like uh, being patient and suffering. It looks like persevering in prayer. It looks like contributing to the needs of the saints. It looks like extending hospitality to the strangers. You know, that's what real spirituality is You know what it looks about. like, Jake? Blessing those who persecute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some more. <laughs> it means if you were a dude and you've used a public restroom, you clean up after yourself and you wash your hands. Just this is did, spirituality. Did this happen I, it's you? happened so many yeah. times. You see people <laughs> acting like no one is going to use the bathroom after them, but somebody will, and they probably are your brother in Christ. And so you better this, clean up after yourself. This must be a problem in this Waco. Is, so, it's a problem uh, everywhere. It's universal. I'm on a soapbox. But again, I love that you say, Jake, that spirituality is like about real world practical stuff. Don't be in your prayer closet. Wear a damn mask. Wear a mask. Wash <laughs> your hands. Be nice. Don't litter. Like people. Uh, this is, um, yeah, our spirituality is real world stuff about living in a world that is occupied by other people who are impacted yeah. by your actions. And again, extending hospitality to strangers, contributing to the needs of the saints. Uh, this is all of it. And again, I, I, I often do think about this living in Texas. Most of the people around us are Christians, all love the Lord at the, at the grocery store, the cashier or the person at the... But do they pee on the well, seat or no, what's no, going on no. in the public moving restrooms? On, moving on from the restrooms. I'm just thinking, like, that is... I only brought that up because that's a place where people act like complete selfish boors and think it's okay. And they never think about it in terms of, like, the wider community in which we live. Anyways, I just think about the way people treat also cash registers or baristas or dry cleaner people, whatever. Just know that they are your, in, at least in Texas, they're probably all your brother and sister in Christ. So know their name. So and let, let me them. sum up what it, let me sum up what Aaron's trying to articulate here. <laughs> Where did we go off the rails? No, no, but I think it's great. Um, but the, here's the thing with spirituality is that it is not otherworldly. Remember, our faith is about the God who became man, who became flesh. And so therefore, spirituality uh, looks very fleshy. It looks very ordinary. And it's these simple things like cleaning up after yourself at the bathroom, uh, wearing a mask, and, uh, and remembering that, uh, you know, people aren't going to give a rip. And, uh, and the sinner in you is going to be like, take a look. And, uh, and Paul says, let it go. Let that dog hunt because vengeance is the Lord's. And so we continue to serve our neighbor because we have been served by God. It's not about you serving God. It's about you serving your neighbor because he has served you completely in Jesus Christ. And that's your spiritual worship. And so we come then to Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. 
And anything else on bathrooms? Uh, no, Jake. But um, since you asked, I will say I did read an example about a, uh, a a person who works in government who, when this person and it's it's not the president. I'm not taking a swipe at him, people. But there was a person. It was it was Do sort it. of an article about this person's upbringing and background, and someone who'd gone to college with this person remembered in the cafeteria being with them, and and um, this person would leave their trays on the table and said don't worry about it they have people for this and again that's the kind of attitude um that is the antithesis of what this in romans 12 is saying um we are to be in the world as servants so remember the franciscans uh, remember jesus christ and be a servant who thinks of him or herself as lowly and associates with the lowly because that's what Jesus Christ did, and you are—I yeah. I guarantee you—you you are not better than He is. So, uh, and I need to hear this as well. Uh, I sound a little preachy, but I'm also preaching to myself. Um, so, uh, that there you go. So uh, here we are then, and uh, and you know, and then Jesus, in light of what we've just said, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. Great suffering, unclean bathrooms at the yes, hands right. of the elders. No glory and for him. And, uh, Scribes, and then not only unclean bathrooms, but be killed and on the third day be raised. And so, um, and uh, if you remember in the previous, just the previous verses from last week, uh, Peter gets the A plus. You know, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter immediately responds by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, uh, you know, and uh, Jesus is like, A plus, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And here we are, uh, just a few verses later, and uh, he's, uh, Jesus has laid out what we call the theology of the cross. Uh, God coming to you, he's going to be the voice where you don't want to look. And Peter says, uh, not just doesn't say, um, Matthew writes that he rebukes Jesus. Can you wrap your mind around that for a second? And uh, he says, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. This passage is unbelievable. And, uh, I mean, we often think of the denial of Christ by Peter three times on the night of his arrest as being really this bad. Is this is worse. This is Jesus <laughs> saying, this is God saying, I'm going to save the world. And Peter saying, no, 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 no. God, the, yeah. you don't understand. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it totally wrong. Uh this is why you should be careful when you ask God to reveal God's plan for you, because when he does, you'll be like, no, 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 no. I didn't invite, I didn't I love, envision so much suffering. That's not what he want. Yeah. I love that woodcut where um, all the Christians are in uh, the lion's den <laughs> and down below it says, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your exactly. life. You know what I mean? That is not, we want the way of glory right away. Yep. Uh, but um, in this age, uh, life is experienced through a cross, you know, and this is what, um, and we want to just skip right over the glory or over the cross and get right to the glory, uh, you know, and so did Peter and all of the disciples. They just want to skip right over the cross and get right to the glory. And, and uh, yeah. Jesus drops it on it them. It says, get behind me, Satan. And this is basically Jesus saying what's happening to me right now is what happened to me in the Garden of Gethsemane. The temptation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try mm -hmm. to save the world in some other way that doesn't involve suffering, that doesn't involve the cross. Uh, and um, uh, incredible honesty from Jesus. You're a stumbling block to me. 
Um, and also this incredible statement, you're setting your mind not on divine things but on human things because human things involve glory. Human things would say Jesus has to march into Jerusalem, uh, use his powers like Emperor Palpatine and have like lightning bolts shoot from his fingers to destroy the Romans, destroy any impure Jews who are not following the Torah, and just clean house totally and restore balance to the universe and whatever, just lock it down. That's human. Human things are power, glory, and, um, and crushing people who are your enemies. Divine things is weakness, shame, uh, hu public humiliation, uh, and, and death, um, and working through things that everybody thinks are not important. Uh, and so that, and then Jesus says that this is going to be true for, for all of us, taking up your cross and following me. Yeah, that's a, and you know, this is, this is, um, this for the record would not have been to anybody, um, any of the disciples listening to this and to any of the first readers list reading this, this wouldn't have been an encouraging word. Like this isn't a challenge. Like, so we're going to take up our cross because cross for me is smoking. You know what I mean? Like cross for me is chewing, you know, cross for me, whatever ridiculous thing that you think is the cross. Let me just tell you, when you place this in its context, this is shocking, and nobody in their right mind would ever choose a cross. It's an instrument of torture. A cross, a horrible, yeah, horrible a cross, torture. and death, and cross. Yes, <laughs> and the cross, the cross, like it's it's what's flung on you, and um, but this is very powerful because you know um, what what Jesus is talking about here, being handed suffering and being handed over to the elders and the this is all loss. And so much of our life where it's actually lived is loss. And that becomes the encouraging word of the cross, is that you have one who has lost everything, not with you simply, but for yeah. you. And uh, this, is, uh, this is what we're getting at. And I was, we were talking about this right before, but um, uh, about six years ago, I was invited to preach to the Atlanta Falcons when they were up here playing... Um, the New York Giants, and I think my sermon was uh, Jesus Loves Losers, because I'm a Giants fan and a Jets <laughs> fan. And anyway, none of them laughed. But anyway, afterwards, I could uh, meet with any players that wanted prayer. And uh, one guy came up to me, and he had, like, spent his whole life trying to be this amazing football superstar. Was pretty good and, like, on a, like, um, you know, mid-range college, but wasn't drafted. And then he walked on uh, to the Falcons, and he, and he had made it. And was on their special teams and had just gotten rocked in special teams. And if you know anything about special teams, that's where people have something to prove. It's vicious. And he had hurt himself and he was going to be let go and no other team was picking him up. Here his whole life had been orchestrated by that. And the only word was that in losing you really gain. You know, um, in losing, and this is what it is to... Grab that massive loss, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, the loss of um, a child, the loss of a, of a marriage, whatever it is, and to still follow Christ. Um, well, that is um, in losing to really understand to lose is to gain. And it's not necessarily financially or worldly, but it's to gain, um, it's to gain your soul. Yeah, I, there's, a, there's a ministry in Waco 
And this is not, I'm using this as an illustration because I think it, it powerfully shows kind of a human tendency about picking up a cross. There's a ministry, and maybe it's broader, where people volunteer to carry a cross through a town. And they pray with people if people meet them. And uh, and I met this person once, uh, and, I'd, and then I saw the cross around town, and it's a big wooden cross, but it has wheels on the bottom so that it makes it much easier to walk with this cross. And I thought, this is often what we as Christians do, that we, um, we think we're bearing a cross. Oh, that's good. Because there's some sort of inconvenience in our life or something that's not going the way we thought. But here's how you know when you are really carrying a cross. It doesn't have wheels on the bottom. You actually want to get out from it. And it's been subjected, you have been subjected to it. It's not something that you picked like a, a Lenten discipline to get yourself a six-pack uh, abs. It's, um, it's something that, you, that is actually killing you. A cross kills you. Uh, it's pain, it's grief, it's suffering. Um, but Jesus says, this is the thing that will cause you to save your soul on some level. This is where you will find the end of yourself and where God begins. This is where you come to AA and you say, my life has become unmanageable and I'm powerless to change it. Um, a cross is not some insignificant little thing. This is the suffering that defines you, that molds you, that burns you, that shapes you, that brings you to the end of you. And it's what Christ goes through. And as Christians, this is what we are entering into. And this is why he says, if you want to become my followers, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Um, and this is not easy. And of course, when Jesus has this conversation with the disciples, they sort of will say these things at various times. <laughs> well, how, how is this possible? And this is where Jesus always says, well, with God, this is where things are possible. And this begins to make sense of the last line, for the Son of Man is to come with the angels and glory of his Father, and then he'll repay everyone for what has been done, you know? And um, if, um, if, if your cross has wheels on it, you know, and you're still a part of it, watch out. But we can rest in this because we know that um, uh, following Christ, we rest in what he's done for us. And that now is credited to us as righteousness. Mm. And we can rest in that. And, um, and uh, you know, there's this lot. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the man, Son of Man coming in his glory. Um, just a little side note. Um, while the early church was expecting Jesus to return at any second, uh, this is a reference to the transfiguration, which just takes place a few verses later. That's right. This wasn't Jesus uh, getting the timing wrong. It wasn't static mm -hmm. on the signal about his, his return. That's not what this is about. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so that is, but remember, um, uh, God always speaks and meets us where we wouldn't want to look. And, uh, and I think we really see what that's all about. And that's about. what happens with and, Moses, uh, by the way. Like, the, there's a real bookend here. Like, Moses is carrying a cross. He's failed everything. He's lost his home. He's lost his job. He's just completely failed whoever he thought he would be. Uh, and it's just a... a so you can talk about both passages here. And basically the idea is that God is the friend of sinners who are at the end of their rope. That's what Moses finds mm -hmm. out in this passage. And that's what uh, Jesus teaches the disciples in this passage. Um, and if you have gone through that experience of being at the end of yourself and being loved in that and forgiven in that, 
And uh, given God's grace in that, you become the kind of person that Paul talks about in Romans 12, who is not looking about exalting themselves or being served, but wants to serve others. Absolutely. Well, that is a great place to uh, kind of end the show, I think. And so thank you for listening, everyone. Happy preaching. And we'll, uh, you'll hear us all next week. Yep. Remember, this was the one about bathrooms. I'll never live it down. Mm-hmm. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.